0: Why don't you take a minute uh, to your neighbor, to your left or right, give them a high five. Don't touch them in any weird spot. Just say hi. And, yeah. (laughs) All right. Listen, it's so good to be with you this morning. Officially welcome this morning to New Life Church. How about our worship, our dance ministry, our children, our young people, our next gen? Yeah, appreciate that. I thought Brandon did such a powerful job of leading us in the communion time, man. Thank you for taking uh, sincerity to the top there. appreciate that. Uh, well, guys, it's Easter. It's Easter. Yeah. Resurrection Sunday. It's here. Can you believe it? On April Fool's Day. Aren't you? Yeah. So anyway, we could have had some jokes with that, but we decided to lay off of those uh, this morning. Uh, listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to John, the gospel of John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Big shout out to our Next Gen New Life Kids children's ministry, the leaders there taking time out this morning for the egg hunt beforehand. And now they're going to have their time. They're going to learn about the resurrection this morning and uh, learn all about it. And so it's Phenomenal time. We appreciate those folks who lead and serve our children. John chapter 19, verse 17. Carrying the cross by himself, speaking of Jesus, he went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross, and two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Let's get down to verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. And then he bowed his head and released his spirit. <clears throat> Verse 38. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission Joseph came and took the body away, and with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jesus uh, excuse me, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. And the place of crucifixion was near a garden. Where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Roll into chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Jump down to verse 9. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Let's bow our heads and pray over the word today. Father God, thank you for what this day entails, what it means, the significance of it. How often we tend to easily forget. The powerful meaning of today and what it stands for. Which is why we take time to come to the communion table. Take time to go over and remember and reflect on what your word has said and what it holds. And now, God, I pray that your word would come alive in our hearts. Lord, wherever we might be in our position of life. We're all in different places and seasons, but nonetheless, you never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so now draw us ever so closer to you, I pray, and let the power of the resurrection and its meaning and the significance of the cross and Jesus and the empty tomb resonate and live and be life and fill us fresh and anew. This day and each day to follow, I pray, and help me now to speak your word with clarity and authority, and I honor you now, and I thank you for it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, and everybody that agrees with that can say amen, and amen. Easter, I have learned to, dis- to discover life has problems. Anybody have any problems? It's okay. This is a good place to admit you got problems in church. Too many people in the world today, we live in such a fast-paced, zip-Zoom society that we don't really take time to reflect on our problems. We might know they're there, but we don't really see what's going on with them in our life. Life is messy. Life is not perfect. And guess what? Neither is the church. Church isn't perfect. Just reminded this morning, as Pastor Lindsey said, we had a pipe burst to the water fountain. We had one of the outlets catch on fire because of the water. We had an egg hunt that I think went well. We had worship. Our kids danced. We're here But it's all a reminder, no matter how hard we try, we can never always keep it all together. And folks, that's okay. That's okay. And Jesus, the resurrection reminds us that we're not perfect, but he is. We're not perfect. We can't hold it all together. We have our issues, but he is perfect. And He, when we put Him center, keep Him center in our life, He holds our life together. Amen? Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. He was lied on. He was spit on. He was slapped in the face. His beard was pulled. His hair was yanked out by hands, human hands. He was tried, he was sentenced to death, all in just a few hours. He was nailed to an old rugged cross. And he was set up in front of people to watch. They scoffed at him, they mocked at him. They told him, hey, if you really are the king, why don't you save yourself? The thieves on either side, one of them saying, hey... Why don't you save us and save yourself while you're at it? And he laughed. The other thief realizing, hey, we we deserve what we get. But he doesn't. He just simply asked Jesus, hey, will you remember me? And Jesus said, today I will remember you and you will be with me today in paradise. Today. All a reminder of what Jesus has gone through, what he went through. In fact... Take a look on the screen here. Isaiah the prophet prophesied over 600 years ago about Jesus the Messiah. He said he was despised and he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way and he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins but he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be whole he was whipped so we could be healed you know the cross it gives the appearance that everything is over that it's that it's done that there's no comeback that there's no hope but in God's great plan the cross was the means for which he would bring hope And the hope of salvation and eternal life to humanity. And you know the thing about it, I know it's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday, but before there can be a resurrection, there first had to be a death and a burial. which we just celebrated and reflected and commemorated on Friday called Good Friday. Take a look at what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 5. It's on the screen here. We're moving along fast. Paul teaches us in in this scripture right here, Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ. Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Today I want to take a few minutes on this Easter Sunday and talk to you about what the what I've titled the message, nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Here Paul Takes a moment and he says, Everyone, anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith in him, those who have trusted him with their salvation, those who look to him to be Lord and Savior, those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says, have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now there's some deeper meaning to that, to those words, passions and desires. Paul uh, if understanding these terms he it means passions means hardship pain emotion and even influence meaning the things that have caused pain and the things that have caused heartache the things that have caused hardship and those types of emotions those are the things he says that have been nailed to the cross all of us are subject to hardship pain emotion of all kinds we're emotional beings we have emotions can be happy one moment sad the next we can be cheerful one moment and mad the next it just kind of all depends on what's happening and how subject we are to christ and our emotions and the spirit of god working in our life but nonetheless we have hardship pain emotions and paul says those who belong to christ have crucified, have nailed these hardships and these pains and these emotions and these desires of our flesh. Things that that we desire, that we know aren't good for us, aren't right for us, that aren't right for us, and that God outlines in His Word. Those are things we should abstain from. Yet our flesh has a habit of wanting what it doesn't need. Now, I don't know about you if you ever experienced that, but I experienced that uh, a lot. My flesh wants things that it doesn't need and it's not good for me. But those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul teaches us, and he says you have nailed those passions and those desires, those hardships and those pains and those emotions and the influence, the thing that has caused you to feel that way and to have that experience has been nailed to the cross. So the cause and the effect have been nailed to, to the cross. Why is that so significant? The American theologian Frederick Buechner says this. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. Think about that. I'm glad. Because I have had some worst things. You have had some worst things. But the resurrection brings hope. And it tells us those worst things, they are not the last thing. They are not the last thing. And the resurrection displays the power of hope that comes with that kind of statement. And it is that hope that he brings. And here's the deal. Right, as, right off the bat, right out of the gate of the tomb being empty, the resurrection happening, Jesus deals with four passions In John's gospel, he deals with four passions, hardship and pain and emotion, the cause and the effect of those things. He deals with four passions. He deals with sorrow. He deals with fear. He deals with doubt, and he deals with regret. Now, I have a hunch that all of us have had one of those passions taking place in our life. Sorrow. Fear. Fear. Jesus comes right out of the tomb. I love it. Comes right out of the tomb. And he smacks sorrow. Comes right out of the tomb. He touches fear. Comes right out of the tomb. And he faces doubt. Comes right out of the tomb and looks regret in the face. And says, not today. Not today. And so, what you and I have to learn to do is to reconcile the cross to the empty tomb. Jesus being the one true main character in all of it. And it's because of him, it's because of him, his willingness to take and absorb and welcome the brutality of the cross and the crucifixion and be willing to lay silent in the grave. Until his father said arise on the third day, early on Sunday morning. That, he, that you and I can have hope and we can have life and we can have freedom from the cause and the effect of what these passions have. He, he, the first person he, he encounters after the resurrection out of John's gospel is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was closed up with sorrow. You know, sorrow has a way... Of closing us up, sorrow has a way of of of, of just making us kind of almost shut down. And and look at it right here in verse fourteen, to be on your screen. He said, Mary turned and to leave from the grave, and she saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. "Dear woman, why are you crying?" Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, "Rabbi," which is Hebrew for teacher. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? What makes you sorrowful? You know, Jesus is no stranger to sorrow. He's no stranger to sorrow. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few days prior to this time, he he cried out in a prayer and he said, My soul is crushed with grief. He was praying to God the Father. He said, My soul is crushed with grief. When he was at Lazarus' tomb... Not too long before this. It said he, Lazarus had been dead for four days and he went to the tomb and he was with the people and it said he wept. Jesus wept. He was sorrowful. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is no stranger to sorrow. He is no stranger to sorrow. Here's the thing about the cross. Nailing sorrow to the cross. The cross absorbs our sorrows. And it does not steer us away. Your heaviest of grief, your heaviest of sorrow, the only way to deal with it, the only way to overcome that. I'll just switch. The only way to overcome that. Three, there it is, up from the the grave he rose. There you go. (laughs) The only way you and I see told you church isn't perfect. So quit trying to play church. Quit trying, trying to be perfect. If that's you, if that's you, I'll just use that as an example. If that's you, quit trying to be perfect. Jesus is not afraid of your imperfections. Sorrow, the only way you and I can deal with sorrow and truly, healthily get through it is when we let the cross absorb our sorrow, when we let Jesus take it. He can handle it. He can handle it, but you've got to be willing to put your faith and your trust in him. So the heaviest of hearts, he asked Mary, why are you crying? Mary, why are you weeping? What is going on, Mary. She couldn't bear to stand to go another day and not see the body of Jesus. And he called out her name, and the way he spoke her name clicked with her heart. And she said, hey, it's you, teacher. It's you. The the cross absorbs our sorrow, but the resurrection, here's the thing, the resurrection releases joy. The resurrection releases joy because she, Jesus told her, hey, you need to go and tell everybody, go tell everybody, I have come back. I have come back. I'm not dead. I'm not in the grave. The reason I'm not in the tomb is because I'm not supposed to be in the tomb. The reason I'm not dead is because I'm not supposed to be dead. The reason I'm not hanging on the cross is because I'm not supposed to be hanging on the cross anymore. Go ahead and go back. Tell your friends. Tell the disciples. Tell Peter especially. Tell everybody that you see. Knock on their door and tell them, I have risen. I have come back from the grave. I have come back from death and I no longer am there you need to understand that when you give your sorrows to the cross the resurrection then brings joy into your life Jesus walked straight up to sorrow and he asked her why you don't need to you don't need to weep anymore because I'm alive and I bring joy into your life the next encounter he had was that evening, on Sunday evening. Look at it here, and it's on the screen, John 20. It's the disciples as a group, deals with them as a group. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, peace be with you. The disciples were locked up with fear. Why are you afraid? What fears do you have? Are you afraid of tomorrow? Are you afraid of what your future holds? Are you afraid of failing so you don't try? Are you afraid of the unknown so you don't do anything? Are you afraid you're not going to have enough money in your checking account April 2nd? Are you afraid if you go to the doctor he's going to tell you bad news? Are you afraid? Why are you afraid? What are your fears? Are you afraid of people? The disciples were afraid of people. And they were locked up behind closed doors. Fear has a way of locking us up. Whatever your worst fears, maybe you're afraid of the dark. Say, I ain't going to tell you mine because you're going to laugh at me. (laughs) Being afraid of the dark, man, I used to be afraid of the dark. Because I watched too many stupid scary movies. As a kid, I don't know why I did that to myself. It was dumb, but it made me afraid of the dark. But then it made me, I like to scare people. I like to go into dark rooms and scare people. Yeah, that was was bad. That was wrong, right? That was just wrong on my part to do that. But I like doing that. I still like doing that. I don't know why I like doing that, but it's just fun to get a laugh. And then it makes me fearful that, okay, now they're going to try to get me back. And so I'm like, all right, all right. I got to really go to the bathroom, but I just i am afraid. I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? Man, so many fears keep us backed up, keep us locked up. Fear has a way of just crippling us. It has a way of just paralyzing us. Fear has a way of working in our life. And Jesus is no stranger to fear. He was praying in the garden just a few days before. And he said, Father, if this cup of suffering can be taken away, If it's possible. And on the cross, he faced fear, and he said, it is finished. He said, I'm here. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come on through. I'm not going to come off the cross because he has the power. But I'm not going to come off the cross. I'm going to finish this mission. And he faced fear. And, he, and And these doors were locked. The disciples thought they were safe behind closed doors, but Jesus just walked on in. Fear might keep you and I locked up, but it can never keep Jesus out. And when Jesus walks in, the Prince of Peace walked in. He said, peace, be with you. You know, not just a peace, not that kind, but you know the kind of peace. And here's, here's really what the, in the full meaning of that word means, safety, security, prosperity the fullness of your spirit, soul, and body experiencing tranquility because the Prince of Peace is in your life. I know there's people here today and there's people all around that have a hard time functioning in life because fear dominates them. Fear paralyzes them. Fear locks them up and it keeps them from moving forward and being everything and doing the li- and living the life that God has called them to live. But when Jesus is in the middle of your life, the cross accepts our fears and it doesn't fail us. I'm so glad the cross doesn't fail us. I'm so glad the cross can can acknowledge my fear and it doesn't make fun of me. I'm so cross. I'm so glad the cross sees my fears and doesn't hit me upside the head with it. I'm so glad the cross acknowledges my fear and he does not fail me. But the resurrection releases peace. Nail your fear to the cross, but then the resurrection releases peace in your life. Releases peace. Here's another thing Jesus dealt with. He dealt with an individual on this one, Thomas. Now, I know we like to give Thomas a, a bad name, Doubting Thomas, but here's the deal. Thomas was not with these disciples on that first Sunday night. Now, granted, go ahead and let's give him a break for a moment because he was not with them. I don't know where he was, but he was not with them in that upper room there behind locked doors on that Sunday evening when Jesus first came because he also, Jesus, did show the disciples his hands in his side after he showed up and spoke peace, told them they didn't have to fear. But with Thomas, it was doubt, as he was called Doubting Thomas. Thomas was froze up with doubt. Look at this in verse 24. Everybody with me? It says, one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, ha, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. You know, kind of like some folks might have said about some people here today at church. Oh, so and so's coming to church on Easter. (laughs) I won't believe it unless I see it. Right? Sometimes we have a bad rap. We don't mean to have a bad rap, but we get a bad rap. Thomas got a bad rap. He didn't mean to get a bad rap, but he's like, I won't believe it unless I see it. And then check this out. Verse 26, eight days later, so eight days after the resurrection... The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked again, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side, and don't be faithless any longer. Believe. It's with an exclamation mark. Jesus said, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You know, God wants us to believe more than perhaps we even want to believe sometimes. That Jesus has taken this opportunity to express to Thomas, Thomas, I so desperately want you to believe that it's me. I so desperately want you to believe it. Here, touch, feel, taste. You have that opportunity. I want you to believe. He said, stop having unbelief. Stop having unbelief. I want you to believe. And some of you are here today, and Jesus is telling you, stop having unbelief. Because your fear, your lack of faith, your lack of believing, it freezes your life. It just puts it completely on pause, and it doesn't move. Faith. God says faith. Believe, And he wants you to believe again. He wants you desperately to believe again. and He goes on, and uh, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. It hit him. It was like, boom, the light bulb went off. Revelation hit. His eyes were open. He got it. He, He believed. He's like, oh, my Lord and my God. It is you. It is really you. You really aren't dead. You're not in a grave. You're not in a tomb. You really are alive. So Mary was not lying. She wasn't fronting when she came and said, hey, Jesus is alive. You really are. You mean the other disciples, they were telling, you know, just the other day, they were telling me that you were alive, but I told them. I said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And Jesus said, here I am. Here I am. But here's what Jesus goes on to finish with that statement. He told him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Too many of us want Jesus to jump through our hoop, dance to our song, sit in our solo, applaud our performance, and pat us on the back, and make us feel good and happy about ourselves before we will do anything he tells us to do. Thomas. those who believe without seeing me. Fear and doubt. Thomas didn't believe. He became a believer. And Jesus said, hey, it's better. I want you to believe so bad, but I really want you to believe without having to even see me. It will be greater for you. It will be greater for you. The cross acknowledges our doubts, and it doesn't despise us. And the resurrection releases belief in our hearts. The resurrection makes it all possible for you and I to actually believe. If the resurrection didn't happen, we've been wasting a whole lot of time. But the resurrection happened. And the resurrection releases belief in our hearts. It makes it possible. Lastly, there's a whole chapter on this. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. I'll just draw our attention to verse 15. So Jesus has dealt with sorrow, fear, and doubt in the life of people. And here, the last thing in John's gospel he's dealing with is regret. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went where you wanted. but..." When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. Peter turned around and he saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. That's John, the one writing this. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during the Last Supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, looking at John, He said, what about him, Lord? What about John? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Peter was bound up with regrets. He had denied the Lord three times just a few hours ago denied the Lord three times he felt awful he ran, ran away in shame ran away in guilt because he was earlier noted for saying Lord we will die for you we'll follow you all the way and Jesus is he told him he said Peter before the morning hey you're going to deny me three times Gonna follow through with it. Can you imagine the guilt Peter, Peter, Peter had? Can you imagine the guilt Peter felt? What about you? What guilt do you carry? What shame is on your shoulders? What kind of regrets haunt you? What what about the shoulda, coulda, and wouldas? You might find yourself thinking. If I could just go back, right? If I could just go back, and I would. But here's the reality. None of us can go back. We can only look forward. And the enemy, Satan himself, would like to try to get you, try to get me, to live with regrets, to live with guilt, to live with shame over the mistakes that we have made over time that we have wasted, over conversations that didn't go well, over issues and situations that we didn't handle right. Right? We all have those. We all have a mountain of those. But the good news in Christ Jesus is those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified those hardships and those pains and those emotions and those influences to his cross. And that's what his cross does. His cross is aware of our regrets, but it doesn't reject us. That is good news. The cross is aware of our regrets, but it doesn't send us away. The cross welcomes them. The cross can handle them. The cross of Jesus can bear them. On that old, rugged cross, our Savior was slain. And he holds, and he absorbs, and he welcomes, and he's aware, and he acknowledges. But he says, give me, give me, give me your regrets. Give me your shame. Give me your guilt. The cross. What are your regrets? What are you guilty of? What keeps you pressed down and bound up from regret you see Peter just before this conversation had said hey I'm going fishing that was what he was he was a fisherman before Jesus called him to follow him to make fishers of men and he's like you know I'm glad he's alive and all I'm just kind of thinking out loud for Peter for a moment I'm glad he's alive and all but I think I'm just going to go back to fishing that's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I feel the most accepted. That's where I feel like I should I belong. And for Peter, fishing was his past. He didn't belong in his past. See, Peter, he could be out there. He could just do what he wanted to do. Because Peter was full of regrets. Full of regrets. And so if Peter was, if he would have stayed in that position and didn't have breakfast with Jesus and didn't get over the fact Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? For Jesus to get all the way to that conversation and say, Peter, follow me. And then Peter says, but Lord, look, John, he's more qualified. He's more qualified. He loves you more than I do. I love you, but John, come on. He was right up on you. He was in your lap at the table. He had his head leaned against your chest, hearing your heartbeat. That's the guy that you need to put in commission. That's the guy that needs to lead the church. That's the guy that needs to win people for the Lord. That's the guy that needs to make fish men and fish for people and make men followers of Christ. That's the guy that needs to do all this, not me. Come on, Lord, me? Really? You want to use me? And Jesus is like, I am not worried about John. Whatever I got for John to do, John will do. Peter, I have come back for you right now at this moment I have taken time to barbecue some fish for you and have a little bit of time with you just to tell you Peter the denials forget about them the guilt forget about it you let me down I don't care anymore Peter because I just faced death hell and the grave and I'm back and look I've got scars in my hands But in my palms I've got keys and the keys I hold are death and the grave and Peter I've come to tell you your regrets your guilt and your denial they're buried. They've been carried away. It might haunt you but today I want you to know they're forever gone. Peter, don't worry about John. Peter, follow me. Follow me. And friends that is where it gets real hard. Because that, at that moment, that is where we have to choose to let go. To let go of sorrow. Does it mean you don't experience it? It means you're not going to wear it for the rest of your life. That that moment, Jesus says, follow me. That's where you and I have to choose to let go of fear. Doesn't mean you don't ever experience it. It means it will not it won't haunt you every day of your life. At that moment where we choose to follow Jesus, that's where we let go of our doubt. Even when we don't really know what the days ahead will look like. And there are some measures of uncertainty. But we can know. That Jesus is with us. And it's at that moment. Peter, follow me. That we have to let go. Of our regret. Don't hold regret. And don't wear regret. Like an article of clothing. Because it's not you. Jesus came back for you. And he's taken time to let you know, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. I'm here for you. And you see, I love that part because Jesus makes Easter personal. Yeah, it's for the world, but he's so good at bringing it down for the one. For he left the 99 and he sought out the one. Father, it was your son's prayer, just before his death, crucifixion, on the cross, he prayed. Oh, he prayed. He said he prayed that we would be one like the two of you are one, that we would be close to you like the two of you are close. And God, we let so many things get in our life and get in the way. Of making us close to you. For some we think we have to be perfect. And have life figured out. In order to walk with you. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Lord we're guilty. We have regrets. And we have sorrows. Lord in a lot of us we're, we're afraid. We're afraid. And we just have trouble believing. We have doubt. We want to see some things, but we have trouble believing. So, Lord, whatever's going on in our hearts today, on this Sunday, Easter Sunday, this is not just a day on a calendar. It's just not a day to dress up. This is a day to remember and to celebrate. Resurrection changes everything. And at this moment, I pray if it's sorrow, if it's fear, if it's doubt, if it's regret, because of we didn't make the right choice, we didn't measure up, we made bad decisions, and now our life is where it is. Whatever it is, I pray that we will take those things and by faith just nail them to the cross and allow them to be nailed to the cross of Christ. Those hardships, those pains, those emotions, the cause and the effect nailed to the cross, that, Lord, we would leave here in the fullness of the resurrection that brings joy, that brings peace, that brings belief, and the resurrection, it brings forgiveness. It brings forgiveness. Today, your, your head's bowed. I'm not going to ask anybody to, like stand up or walk up here or anything like that, but I just want you to take a moment if it's sorrow in your life that is heavy, it's real, but it's heavy. If it's fear, if it's doubt, you just have a hard time trusting God. You're always worried about tomorrow. You're always worried about this or that. You have a hard time trusting God. So you try to figure it out. You try to analyze it and try to run through the contingencies. If you're That's for somebody today. Take that to heart. And if you're like Peter, you just, man, you're full of regrets. You made some wrong choices. You made some decisions that didn't work out the way you hoped, and it disappointed you, it disappointed others, and you know it disappointed God, but God is not ashamed of you. So whatever that is, pressing on you, holding you down, binding you up, pressing hard on your life today, God said that is not for you. I have a freedom. I have a life that's for you. It's abundant life. By faith right now, take those things that are in your mind that you're thinking of right now and give them to the Lord. I'm going to pray again. As I pray, I want you by faith to just give them to the Lord. And all you got to do to yourself right now is just say, God, I trust you and I give you whatever it is. I accept the, the, I accept the forgiveness you offer through Christ Jesus. And I want the life you have for me. Just something along those lines now. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray you cover every life. I pray you cover every heart. Right now, by your spirit, you're speaking to so many of us. And you're prompting us. You want us to live free in you. You want us to be able to nail these things to your cross. And live in the fullness and the promise of the resurrection. So I pray that now as we nail sorrow and fear and doubt and regret to the cross. I pray now through the resurrection of Jesus, you bring and release joy and peace and belief and faith and forgiveness in our life. Help us to walk away from the empty tomb and to live focused on Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.